You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Tonight, I want to I pick up where I left off, although I will say I'm not going to dive in too much more to tongues interpretation. Um, let me just sort of recap what I did, but then I'm gonna, I want to talk tonight about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there is a lot of misunderstanding about that phrase. Uh, how many of you have, have heard, well, no, I'll come back to these questions later, but um, let me just back up and share a little bit about last week. So we talked about what tongues is and what it isn't. Uh, we, we determined that tongues is a language. Uh, it's either something earthly or something supernatural that's angelic. Probably not, but might be. Uh, we, we know that people understand it when it's spoken in certain uh, countries. Like I, I shared a story about how um, I've had people understand me speaking fluent Portuguese, a language I do not know. Uh, I've had that happen on multiple occasions. Uh, we talked about how when a person speaks in tongues and there's someone to interpret, uh, they can speak through prayer, they can speak through a revelation, they can give words of knowledge and teachings and, and uh, prophecies all through this one gift, especially when there's interpretation there. Um, I dismantled some of the misconceptions being that, uh, that just because you speak in tongues doesn't make you more spiritual than anybody else. I also mentioned that speaking in tongues doesn't make your prayers any more powerful. Uh, what actually determines p- power in prayer? Well, yeah, yeah, power. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah, you heard me do that. All right, who gets their prayers answered? Those who speak in tongues? Those who don't? Neither. It's not about the language you pray in. It's about the condition in your heart, Right? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He hears the proud from afar, but he is near to those who are humble in heart. So whose prayers does God answer? The person praying in tongues or the person praying in general? And here's something you need to know about prayer in and of itself. Prayer, when you pray, it is in and of itself. Inherently within prayer is an act of humility. Do you know how I know this? Because... uh, The moment you set your heart to pray to God, you're saying two things in that one moment. You're saying, God, you are God. Otherwise, I wouldn't be coming to you to pray. Secondly, you're saying, I am not God. Because again, I wouldn't be coming to you if I was. So two statements right there. It's putting him in that place of you're the one on the throne. You're the one capable of answering these prayers. I'm right here in a place that's less than you, but but I, I know who to go to. Um, so prayer in and of itself is an act of humility. Now, we talked about how uh, tongues does not make you spiritually superior to anybody else. Uh, it's not the language that you pray in that makes you spiritual. It's, again, condition of your heart. Well, <clears throat> here's a question for you. Are you spirit-filled? <laughs> that was pretty cool. Are you a spirit-filled Christian, or are you one of those other kinds of Christians? Yeah. Are you one of the the spiritually filled guys who's got it, or one of the ones who doesn't? What do people mean when they say spirit-filled? How do you even define that? 
Uh, some mean that they believe in the gifts when they say, oh, well, that church is spirit-filled, right? They believe in the gifts. The gifts are operative. Sometimes when they say, well, that church is spirit-filled. Now, I don't know any churches that don't say they're spirit-filled. Do you? Any churches say, oh, we're not spirit-filled. Anybody say that for the most part? Like, hey, welcome to my church. We're not spirit-filled. It's going to be a less-than experience for you. Did anybody ever say that? People don't, don't, people don't teach that. Some people believe that uh, spirit-filled means speaking in tongues. Some believe that it just means that they're charismatic in the way that they conduct themselves in a church service. Um, some people, it just means that they're very emotional when they worship and they pray and, and when they, they come together. Uh, sometimes it's just a way of saying, hey, I'm one of you. I'm in the gang, right? I'm one of the spirit-filled just like you are. We're together in this. Um, I remember the first time I'd heard somebody uh, make the offer to pray for me to be spirit-filled. And it was, uh, it was actually, it was probably one of the coolest meetings I'd ever been to because I'd never been around this kind of thing before. But I went to a Benny Hen meeting when I was a senior in college. Drove down to Waco. I heard he was going to be there. So I, I got in the doors. And uh, I didn't speak in tongues. And so uh, there was an opportunity to get spirit-filled and speak in tongues. And they prayed for me. And I just felt really embarrassed. And they tried to get me to pray these words after them. And, and I, I just felt like I was doing something that was sort of like in my flesh didn't feel very spiritual. If anything, it felt very scary and weird. Um, just repeat these words and then you'll be spirit-filled. Uh, <clears throat> now, now, if, if that's what spirit-filled is, then what do you say about all the other believe, believers? Are they the spiritual, spiritually not so filled, the spiritually empty ones? Uh, now, I'm going I'm to just lay out a few different positions of what people thought about this. Some people, let's take the evangelical church. And I remember reading a book by, I think it was either, uh, I think it was Charles Stanley. Anybody ever read that book on the spirit-filled life? Charles Stanley. Now, the evangelicals will tell you that if you're spirit-filled, it means that everything you do is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, last I checked, God is not a God who is controlling people, is he? Is he into control? Now, how do we know that? How do you know that God is not into control? Well, because all of us would be still in a very nice and neat garden. <laughs> right? If God was into control and making sure that everything was done exactly as he wants it, then we would still be cultivating this really lovely garden without sin having ever, ever entered into the picture, right? Uh, it's as if to say, like, so they'll use specifically the Ephesians passage where it says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the implication is this. When you're drunk with wine, it means you're controlled by wine, right? When you're, when you're drunk by alcohol, you're controlled by alcohol. Therefore, what's the opposite of that? To be filled with the Holy Spirit means you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. Then he says, uh, you'll, you'll hear these kind of phrases. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of you agree you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit? Right? And that just means you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, right? And then, uh, and how many of you don't want to quench the Holy Spirit? Well, then you usually taught, well, then you just make sure to not do everything the Holy Spirit tells you not to do, right? But actually, none of those things mean that. Uh, when it says do not, be, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do you know what the context is? It's actually when Christians talk about other Christians in a negative way. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And do you know what it means to quench the Holy Spirit? It means to despise prophecy. 
So what we were doing just now, you find yourself going, oh, I hate that. That's actually quenching the spirit. It says, do not despise prophecy. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Literally, you'll, you'll read them one right after the next. Look it up. Go look up what grieved the Holy Spirit and look at what quenching the Holy Spirit is. It's not what the evangelicals teach us. It's not about uh, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's not about us uh, doing what he says to do and not doing what he says not to do. None of those things have to do with quenching or grieving or even being filled with the Spirit. Um, the Pentecostal position. Here's what they'll teach. You have to have this super spiritual encounter with God where suddenly you get it and you're filled with the Spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Usually it involves going into a prayer closet, eating nothing and drinking nothing for like the next three months of your life uh, until you're at the point of almost death, and then suddenly you get it, right? And you become one of the super spiritually powerful Christians. Any of you ever heard that one before? It says when, you, uh, when you've toiled and you've prayed and you've sought God enough and you tarried in your prayer closet, then you get to be filled with the Spirit. Biblically, I cannot say that that's true. At least not with the words filled with the Spirit. Um, it's like you suddenly get the super upgrade where now sin is no longer an issue. Now you're moving in superpower. You know, you've become the new Christian superhero. And usually they'll say that tongues is the evidence of that power. You know what the statistics are in the church? There's one particular denomination that says that uh, the evidence of filling of the Spirit or baptism of the Spirit, and they equate the two. They say those two things are the same thing. That the evidence of those things is speaking in tongues. Did you know that? You know what the actual statistic is of those in that denomination that actually speak in tongues? 35%. 35% in, in the denomination where if you're really Spirit-filled, you speak in tongues. 35% of people in that denomination actually speak in tongues. Now, do we really want to create a doctrine about what it means to be spirit-filled that seems to only work for 35% of people? Does that make sense to you? I know I'm throwing some monkey wrenches at some of the things you've heard before in the past. I'm here to tell you that being spirit-filled is actually an incredibly cool experience that I hope we all have at least once or twice in our lives. But I but also tell you it's not what we've been taught it is. If you ever want to know what something means in the Scripture, here's what you do. Now, take notes on this. If you ever want to know what something really means in the scriptures, here's what you do. Go look at every single time it's used in the scriptures. Now, now in, in case of filling with the Spirit, we're told, uh, in, well, we're not told. The word filled with Spirit is actually only used in two books of the New Testament. It's only used in the, the Gospel of Luke and in the Acts of the Apostles, also written by Luke. So Luke is the only one in the New Testament that talks about being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's another passage in Ephesians where he says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Problem is, that is not uh, the same Greek word. So we've got two different types of filling of the Spirit. We've got the, the type used by Paul in the Ephesians, and then the type used by Luke in the Gospel of Luke and the, and the uh, Acts of the Apostles. So two different kinds of fillings, and they're different Greek words, so we shouldn't equate them. Does that make sense? Totally different Greek words. Uh, 
in, in Ephesians, he'll say, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he's going to go on to tell you how that happens. Now, many people will say, uh, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you should be drunk in the Holy Spirit. Is that what that means? Actually, no, it's not. Because if you read right after it, he tells you how to be filled with the Spirit. And it's not looking like a drunk in the Spirit. It's actually speaking to each other in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So if you wanted to call Upper Room a Spirit-filled church, according to Ephesians 5, that would be a very good usage of it. Um, because we do that a lot, right? We speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We actually do that all throughout the week. Very Spirit-filled community because of that, at least in that definition. But that's not what most people mean when they say spirit-filled. Um, so if we want to find out what the word spirit-filled is, we actually have to start looking at those passages. So let's start in Luke chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn there now. Now, something you should know, so just a few misconceptions right before we dive into this. Do you know the word spirit-filled as an adjective to describe somebody is not even in the scriptures? Nowhere in the scriptures do, do they describe any person as, as spirit-filled, nor do they describe a church as spirit-filled. Not once in the entirety of the New Testament do you see spirit-filled as an adjective. As a noun, we see it in... Uh, or sorry, as a, a uh, verb, we see it in Luke and Acts. And so here we, we're going to pick up on that one. Uh, Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 5. This is going to be a lot of scripture here, but we're going we're to hang out in Luke chapter 1 a lot. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of, uh, I don't know how to say that, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of his priestly office, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And I love this. This is just one of those things that happens. It's one of these suddenlies of God, right? Now, just curious, when did the suddenlies of God tend to happen to people in the Bible? Oftentimes, it's when they're in a place where they pray. Oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes. It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. First time we see the word filled with the Spirit in the New Testament. And it happens to do with a child that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he hadn't even been born. Notice in here that John the Baptist didn't go and tarry in a prayer closet when he was filled. 
Notice in here, no one laid their hands on him for him to be filled. You don't see any of that in there, do you? Now, at this moment, we don't really know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Would he, would he do miracles? Would he speak in tongues? Uh, fortunately for us, the scriptures continue, and we actually see this fulfilled in the same chapter. It says, uh, we're going to keep reading verse 16. It says, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient of the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, this is exactly what had been prophesied, right? In the last days, uh, Elijah is going to return, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons back to the fathers. I think that's one of the coolest ministries that could ever happen. And in today's generation, I think, I think we're actually seeing it happen. And I, I, this is not related to the message at all, but I just think it's something worth noting. Um, if you look at a couple generations back, um, there's a, a mentor of mine in, in Denver, a guy named Michael Murphy, who's with us since the beginning of Upper Room Denver. And he was, was I th- he just turned 71. But I remember when he was hanging around us, he was like, I don't understand why you guys want to hang out with me. And he had this sort of insecurity about guys my age wanting to hang out with him. He just didn't get it. And I was like, why does that not make sense to you? You have wisdom. Like, when I'm around you, I feel like I'm around a father. And to me, I need a father. I need more than one father. And for him, it was just incomprehensible because in his generation, it was all about rebelling against your fathers. I mean, think about it. If you, if you, even, you can see it in the cinemas and the movies. It was all about sticking it to the man and, and sort of going away from the upbringing that you had. Um, and today, I, I think we're actually hungry for fathers. We live in one of the most fatherless generations that has ever existed. I mean, quite literally, statistically speaking, uh, I think, I don't know what the, the actual t- statistic is, but I know it's incredibly low of people who grow up, grow up in homes without fathers. And I was one of those. Um, and so what, what a ministry could that look like, to see uh, the hearts of the sons return to the fathers and the fathers to the son. They're being reun- reuniting. And I, I think millennials in particular are looking for that. So old men, it's time to dream dreams again and realize that your days here are not done, that you have sons and daughters, old men, old women, sons and daughters who actually need mothers and fathers. And... and you know, I, speaking to the younger generation, you need spiritual fathers and mothers, desperately so. Um, this is, we, we're one of the most, like, confused, directionless generations, and we need people to help us know how to do life right. Um, all right, now back to this. Okay, angel comes. He tells him he's going to be a forerunner like Elijah. And so Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this is for certain? Don't you love how he asked that question to an angel? It's like he had the spirit of stupid on him or something. He says, how will I know for certain? For I'm an old man, my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I have been, I mean, there's just some of these stories. You, it's like you can tell Luke just loved sarcasm. <laughs> says, uh, I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. 
And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So it's like, uh, I'm Gabriel, and take that. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And they kept making signs, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. I love that. I love that. I, I'm, I, I think... I just so many people who dreamed about having children and they've struggled with that very thing. Listen, if this is a struggle for you, I believe in a God who heals wounds. I, he does. I've seen it happen. Um, it, at the end of the service, if you need prayer, if, you, if you're trying for children, you want to be pregnant or you have a, a relative who is, get them on the phone and let's pray. I believe in a God who does this. We have testimony right here. Um, where was I? After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me. In the days when he looked, um, sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. When he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace amongst men. There, I, I hate that because um, she, she bore shame because she couldn't get pregnant. Does that sound like God? You see, God is the one who wants to take away shame and disgrace, not the one who's wanting to heap it on us. Um, now, we, we're going to skip down to verse 39. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Second time we see it used now. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. How did Elizabeth know what she was saying? How did she know all this stuff? Because why was she suddenly filled with joy? Like, it, it's clearly a supernatural thing that's taking place here. So we see this happening. When someone is filled with the Spirit, they suddenly speak out a revelation. And who is the revelation about? Who is the subject of this revelation? It's about Jesus, the birth of a Messiah. So now we know that being filled with the Spirit often will come with a revelation about the Messiah. Keep going. It says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. This is verse 57. Sorry, I should mention that. Verse 57, skip down there. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to, to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. 
And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who's called by that name. Now, see, they don't just do that. They don't just give their child a name that doesn't belong to any relative from the past. It was customary for them to name their children after someone who'd gone before them. And yet here they're saying, no, 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 we're going to name him John. They made signs to his father as to what he wanted to call him. And, and he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished, and at once his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then shall this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly upon him, and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Spirit. Catching this? Now, again, do you see Zacharias speaking in tongues? Did he tarry in a prayer closet before he was filled with the Spirit? So this was something that just suddenly happened upon him, right? And he's giving, again, a revelation. Here's what he's about to say. Verse, verse 67, uh, second half of it, says, And he prophesied, filled with the Spirit, and then he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. He has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that, that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness before God all our days, and you, child, to prepare his ways. This is, sorry. I love, I love that. Um, he's talking about his son here. I mean, this is the spirit of Elijah. Like immediately Zacharias is talking about his son. He's filled with the spirit. To prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by forgiveness of sins because the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide her feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and become strong in the spirit. And he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. For 700 years, people have been wondering about these prophecies that were spoken of in the Old Testament. For 700 years, there hadn't been any kind of revelation. They didn't know what was coming. And we know that there was supposed to be this new king that would come into the land, and he would be a deliverer from darkness, a deliverer from those who would oppress mankind. And, and God had promised that beforehand he would send a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, anytime a king, a foreign king, would enter into a new territory, he would always send ahead a messenger to, to announce his arrival. So, so the messenger would come and say, hey, look, the king is coming. You, you guys need to be prepared for his arrival. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I want you to be ready for when he comes. 
And this is how every foreign king would enter into another territory. Do you think God did it any different than what was customary for people at that time? Now, see, this is what I know of God. He's always meeting people where they're at. And the other thing is he's not waiting for us to come to him. He's making a way. He comes and visits us. We don't go up to him. So God, before he even arrives, he sends ahead a messenger. We're told that this guy would be a prophet, that he would be filled with the Spirit. Now, can you think of any greater revivalist than John the Baptist at that time? People from all over the Middle East were coming to the Jordan to be baptized by John. They were getting a a cleansing, a washing to prepare themselves for the coming Messiah. So question for you. When John is filled with the Spirit, when, when Zacharias is filled with the Spirit, who are they giving testimony about? Who are they prophesying about? What do you think happens when people in this room get filled with the Spirit? A filling with the Spirit isn't something that's going to happen when someone comes and lays their hands on you. Only one time in the entirety of the New Testament do you see the word filled with the Spirit and the, and the word tongues anywhere even associated. And, and, and each time you see people filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to see one thing that's common throughout the entirety of the New Testament. They give a prophetic declaration about Jesus. Now, when do you think you might have need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's the unfortunate thing. I can't lay hands on you and make that happen. Nowhere in Scripture do you see that in the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see that. That's kind of redundant. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see that. Uh, The filling of the Spirit is something that sovereignly happens by God to give a revelation about Jesus. Now, question for you. Who needs a revelation about Jesus? Well, probably all of us in the room. Okay, I get what you're saying. Trace, you're the first one. I love it. I'm going to submit to you that people who need a revelation about Jesus, the people who need to have Jesus be revealed to them first, are those who are outside of this room. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Go and share your faith. And suddenly you'll find yourself giving a prophetic declaration. This isn't just telling people about Jesus. This is suddenly coming with power. Um, power to actually prove what you're talking about. Um, now, I, I've probably only had this happen to me one time or maybe twice that I know of. Now, you're going to see this in, in John. He says, uh, you're going to be brought up in front of the Sanhedrin. Jesus says this to his disciples. They're going to persecute you. So they may even take some of your lives. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to plan beforehand what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will give you at that time what you need to say. Now, anybody ever have a hard time with being really eloquent? When, when do we have a hard time being really eloquent with our speech? Usually when we're scared or insecure. Usually at those times, I mean, ever been in a confrontation with somebody and all of a sudden you're intimidated and you, you just shut down? Most oftentimes, when we need uh, to, to speak something eloquent, we can't because we're feeling afraid or insecure. That's, only, that's when that thing gets shut down. 
Do you know when you have need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, how many of you are really confident at evangelism? Got a couple in the room, maybe. Now, raise your hand if you're not so confident in evangelism. <laughs> Matter of fact, it kind of scares you, the thought of doing that. I've got good news for you. Uh, you don't need to fix that. Matter of fact, if you go out and you begin to share your faith, I guarantee Holy Spirit will show up and give you words that you could not have planned beforehand. And if anything, I would say you probably shouldn't plan what you're going to say beforehand. Give Holy Spirit opportunity to come into you and fill you in that moment so that you'll have a prophetic declaration about Jesus. Um, now, homework assignment for you. Two weeks, I'm coming back. I'm going to finish this message. Two weeks. My assignment for you is I want you to look up every other instance of being filled with the Spirit in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's not that hard. There's not a ton of occasions. But I want you to see if what I'm saying is actually true. Is being filled with the Spirit, does it mean that you're going to give a prophetic declaration about Jesus? Um, Jeremy, you, you have a story of this happening. You want to come share it real quick? Um, yeah, so I, I think I've been filled, not think, I know I've been filled with the Spirit a few times in my life in varying degrees. It's hard to describe. Um, you know, you, you have like these levels of euphoria and ecstasy in the presence of God, and usually like waterworks are falling out of your face, like clarity, like all, confidence, all this stuff comes on you. Well, uh, less than two months ago, I needed an Uber ride to the airport really early in the morning. It was before 5 a.m., and so um, I get in the car, and it's this nice young woman, and I'm so tired, I'm planning on not saying a word. And if she asks me what I'm doing, I'll tell her I'm a preacher because no one likes to talk to preachers. So, <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> but I, she she asked me what I was doing, and I had a completely different response. My my attitude changed, and I just said, um, "I serve a church called the Upper Room," and told her about the residency, which is our ministry school. And she just up and said, "My dad's a pastor in this denomination, and I don't believe any of that stuff." And, I, and I've just felt something come over me, and I wouldn't recommend you follow my example whatsoever. Yeah. How many of you would agree that that might be a hostile environment? When the first thing they tell you is, I don't believe in that stuff. Um, okay, so what I said, I don't recommend you say this to anyone, but I just said, well, that's because you were brought up believing that God was so angry at you that he had to kill his son so he didn't kill you. And <laughs> well, no, I just, I, I just, I said, but I just felt this love and comp compassion. I feel it right now. I feel the Holy Spirit. And I just said, First uh, John uh, three three eight says that the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 said that he came to take back the power of death from him who held it, that is the devil. And, and, and God was actually in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The reason Jesus came was to show us the Father so that we could re, like, be reconciled into friendship with him. And the Holy Spirit is just, she starts like shaking. And, and, and I just began to, I actually began to prophesy over her things about her brother, things about her, and I just, 
And instead of asking or like praying it, I just started declaring it. And I said, in this moment, a new power is coming over you to walk as a daughter of the Most High. And I, and I asked, you want to be his daughter, don't you? And she's through tears. She's weeping. We're driving now on the freeway at, <laughs> at 40 miles an hour. My trip to the airport was supposed to take 20 minutes. It's taking 45 minutes. She's straddling the white line and like weeping. And she said, God brought you to my car. God brought you to my car. And I said, you want to be his daughter? She said, yeah. And I said, you want to be his friend? Yeah. And I said, this day you are. And she's just bawling. She gave her life to the Lord. And and I didn't need coffee anymore. I just... (laughs) I was so jazzed by the presence of God. So like, she, we get to the airport and we're like hugging. She's crying, just saying, God brought you to my car. Yeah, that stuff works. It didn't happen because uh, someone laid their hands on him, right? It was a suddenly thing. God sovereignly does this. Filling with the Spirit. Now again, I told you there's two kinds of fillings. There's the Luke version of filling of the Spirit. There's the Paul version. Right now we're talking about the Luke version. And again, this has nothing to do with the indwelling of the Spirit. So don't misunderstand me here. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. But as you share your faith, when you have need of it, God will temporarily empower you with a greater measure of his Spirit to give a prophetic declaration to Jesus with power with power that actually shakes you to the core. Um, the only time I know of this actually happening to me was when I was, in, uh, I was in Ethiopia. And I was doing a conference for a bunch of pastors and prophets. Now, how many of you know that pastors and prophets are the most hostile environment to ever speak? Any of you know this? Yeah, we're the worst. We are the worst. Um, and I was there, and I was, I was coming because there had been a divide with those who were prophets and those who were pastors. Um, the prophets were infallible. You couldn't question the prophets. Uh, they'll give you the $10 prophetic word. They'll give you the $100 prophetic word. Or they'll give you the $1,000 prophetic word. And, and when they gave you word, there was no evaluating like what we did in this room to whether or not we were right or we were wrong. It's, they're right. And if you're questioning it, you're in sin. So they could bring no correction to the prophets. And the prophets always felt this pressure to always have to be right. They couldn't make mistakes. Um, and so what would happen is as soon as a pastor would confront one of these prophets, they'd leave the church and take half the church with them. And they're moving in crazy power. I'm talking like tell you your name, tell you your condition, pray for you, and you get healed on the spot. Like that kind of craziness, right? Um, then they go down a line of people and do that one right after the next. So it's not like just a random name that they throw out there, like some of the weak prophetic ministry I've been doing. Um, <laughs> but so I'm there, and I'm teaching how uh, biblically uh, prophecy is not necessarily um, in, uh, infallible in Scripture. And I'm giving examples of people in the Bible that actually got it wrong and uh, how that was okay. And anyway, real hostile environment. And I know that I'm going in there and they're going to disagree with me. I said, Lord, I'm going to do what you said. Okay? I'm going to not plan what to say. You're going to have to give me what I need to say in that moment. And sure enough, during the question and answer time of this conference, one of the pastors, and they were all asking questions that were really hostile. 
that, that showed that, you know, you know what it's like when someone's asking you a question, but it's not really to get information. It's a question to prove their point. Okay. So this, pro, this, this guy goes, well, what about Samuel? We, it says that none of his words fell to the ground. And I hear the, I, I go, Lord, here it is. I go, I don't know what to say. And then just suddenly, like power just comes over me in peace. It's supernatural. And I look at him and I say, the fact that the scriptures point out that none of his words fell to the ground proved that he was unique amongst the prophets. Otherwise, why would they say that at all? It's like, answer. I'm convinced that when you have need of Jesus is when he shows up. So how many of you, raise your hand if you'd like to be filled with the Spirit. Best chances of you having that is to put yourself in the face of those who don't agree with you and don't believe in what you preach about Jesus. And go and tell them about Jesus. And then you will experience a filling with the Spirit. <laughs> May not be the answer you want, but it's the answer you need. <laughs> Amen?